0: You're listening to episode 58 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. When it comes to writing, one of the first distinctions we make is nonfiction and fiction. But as I've grown as a writer, some of the best insights have come from craft books on writing stories, fiction writers. I'm joined on the podcast today by a nonfiction writer who is debuting his first novel, he also happens to be our first international guest, coming all the way from Australia. He joins me to talk about fiction writing, about the role of fiction in the life of the believer, and how fiction can inform non-fiction and non-fiction fiction. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. As always, thanks for listening. Well, joining me on the podcast today is David Rawlings. He's an Australian author with a background in advertising, and he's been publishing nonfiction books, but joins me today to talk about his new fiction work. In fact, he's just released his debut novel, The Baggage Handler. As David explains in his bio on his website, quote, My writing brings together my Christian experience and my life experience, and I write novels that talk about everything from the media to consumerism to atheism to megachurches to advertising to family relationships and then fitting for his debut novel to carrying emotional baggage. Well, David, it's an honor to have you. I think my first international guest on the podcast joining us from Australia. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Thanks for having me, Chase. I'm also calling you from the future because we're about 12 hours in advance of you. That's right. This is
0: cutting-edge advice that you'll be giving in this (laughs) next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, maybe we could start. Give us a little context. We're going to get into your debut novel here shortly, but maybe a little bit of the background you do in advertising and also some of the work you've done in nonfiction writing.
1: Sure. Look, I'm a copywriter. Um, I've been writing since day one of my career, I studied journalism, started out there, and then I've moved into corporate communication, copywriting, advertising, marketing. So basically every day of my career, I've had my fingers on the keys writing something. And that's actually prepared me pretty well for a, a career in fiction, which is only just starting really Um the, the link between those two parts of my career was, was I put out a couple of, of nonfiction books. The first one I wrote in the mid-2000s, I wrote that uh, was in the health field. It was for couples who were having trouble conceiving a child or on IVF treatment, and that was called Swimming Upstream. And, and that was a – I really enjoyed the process of actually just addressing a, a pretty serious issue for people and putting it on, on the page. And since then, I've been putting out you know, non-fiction material that, that kind of supports my my business and the training that I do, and and looking at you know the fields of communication really, and, and how to market yourself and how to advertise yourself. So it's kind of eclectic a bit, but um, I've written quite a lot over the past twenty five plus years. And uh, as you said, now I'm heading into fiction, so it's it's a different direction again.
0: Yeah, well, I'm curious at what point, uh, working on your own copywriting, working on nonfiction writing, at what point did you catch this sort of fiction bug? Was it always kind of there? And, and what was, the, what was the, the thing that made you decide to, to take this seriously, that this was the next work? It wasn't just sort of a hobby or something that was kind of dormant, but something you wanted to pursue professionally as well?
1: I think uh, the, the drive to be a fiction writer started when I was six, And so it's, it's, to answer your question, it's always been there. It's it's something that I've always wanted to do. And it was always, as I was progressing through my 20s and 30s, it was always something I was going to do one day. And I would collect ideas for stories and I'd drop them into my laptop. And at one stage, you know, I had 30 or 40 novel ideas in my laptop. And I, I don't know what I was waiting for. There was always a a pushback in the fact that I was going to do it when I had enough time or I had enough money behind me or I had enough clients or I had enough ability to be able to, to put aside some time and write fiction. And then the catalyst really, I think, was in 2014. I was actually coming back to this idea of maybe maybe I'll write fiction if I just get you know enough something. And then really genuinely felt God said, I've already given you enough. What are you waiting for? And so – he gave me two words, which I was hoping would be bestseller or great book or amazing story, but those two words were trust me. And since then, I've been leaning into that. And the result of that is, is a debut novel that's just come out, and I'm contracted for another two. And I do wonder if if I hadn't actually taken my hands off the wheel and, and put some trust into that, that maybe we, well, we wouldn't be talking for a start, but... I'd be sitting there waiting for something else to come along to give me, you know, enough when I'd already been given enough.
0: Yeah. Well, I have a lot of respect for the, for the recognition and sort of the courage to, to do that, to trust, because I know, I know so many writers that are doing nonfiction and, and sort of have this idea or a, as you sort of describe them, a few ideas, they're fascinated by fiction. There's something rolling around there, but it's a big step. Um, as listeners know who have been working on their own writing, those two worlds, nonfiction and fiction can be so far apart. And so much of the work can be, uh, I think there's a lot of overlap, but there's a lot that's sort of unique to each of them. And so it can feel like a brand new undertaking. Um, congratulations. The Baggage Chandler just came out in March, and I actually got an advanced copy and uh, had the opportunity to read it. So thanks. Enjoyed that. Um, maybe you can, maybe a good help for the listeners is to give a little pitch. Uh, uh, without, I don't want to do it because I'll give too much away. So you're (laughs) well prepared to be able to do this. Uh, pitch the book a little bit. Tell us about it. And then maybe also about, uh, the second book, if that's something that's open or how that opportunity came about.
1: Sure. Well, what I'm writing is, is modern day parables. So it's, it's almost to, to go back to your earlier statement. It's almost surfing that that line between nonfiction and fiction. So it is a fictional story, the baggage handler, but it's an allegory. So it's got it's got some truth in there. So there is an element too of, of the parable about it. So the baggage handler talks about three people who are on a, a trip. Um, they've flown into a city that's uh, going to change their lives significantly. They get to the airport and in their rush to get away, they pick up the wrong suitcase. So in their, their rush to, to go back to the baggage depot to, to change over their suitcase so that they're carrying the right baggage, they meet a young guy called the baggage handler, and he shows them that there's more in their baggage than they remember packing, and they have to deal with it before they can leave. So that's very thematic in the sense of it. it's a story about people recognising what they might be carrying that's slowing them down. and dealing with it and by dealing with it I don't just mean forgetting it's there or throwing it away but actually unpacking what they're carrying and actually dealing with it so that they can move on in their lives so the whole theme behind that is the the theme of, of emotional baggage and what we might be carrying and I've extended that into the second books coming out in December and that's called The Camera Never Lies and the theme of, of that book is about honesty and the story behind that one is it's the story of a marriage counselor whose own marriage is breaking down and he and his wife are drifting apart and uh, his grandfather dies and leaves him an old SLR camera and uh, the line from the book is it it's from a time when photography was used that the camera was pointing away from the photographer not back at them while they were pulling a, a duck face and uh this guy, Daniel, finds that every time he uses the camera, that it reveals another one of his secrets that he'd much prefer to be kept hidden, and he's got no idea how it's happening. So same sort of approach to, to storytelling, I guess. It's, the truth in there is, is what secrets do we actually hide, and are they doing us any good? So they're the, the two books that, that I've got. Well, one's out, one's coming. And then there's a third one, which I'm basing um, here in Australia. And that'll be coming out in 2020.
0: Oh well, congratulations! I heard the news on that, and and I'm really intrigued by the the format too. Um, the books are novels, but they're um, you know, I think the audiobook versions just over four hours, something like uh, uh I think the print version I have is just 240 pages, something like that. Uh, they're oh. really a manageable size, which fits well with this idea of you thinking of them as sort of parables. They're these stories that encapsulate these these truths. Um, where did that idea come from, and how has that format been received? Is you starting to get feedback on the book? I know. It's it's only been out a month, but I know you're starting to hear back from readers.
1: Well, the format was, it was something I landed on when I was reading a range of different books. And I noticed that with the allegorical stories, they, they really are – they're shorter, but they're also structured in a way that, that packs a lot of a punch. The, so what I decided I was going to do was, was write a book that would be a, a page turner, but you'd finish it in one sitting. And that was a risk. Because you know, literary fiction is usually significantly larger than that. But I wanted it to be manageable enough so that people wouldn't be overwhelmed by it. And so that's why I landed on the the, the two hundred and forty pages, two hundred and fifty pages kind of um, kind of structure. And the the good thing is is that I'm getting feedback from people now. Uh, they're they're commenting on the fact that it was not overwhelming. And so to me, that's a good thing. Um, one of the things about Jesus' parables is is they were quite succinct, they were very pointed, and they were absolutely on the mark. So you don't have to tell a very long story to make a point. And people are telling me that, that um, they've been either reading it themselves or giving it to the people around them to read, and they are – able to get through it because it doesn't look daunting. The one thing I didn't want to do is say, let's have a conversation about um, recognising you might be carrying baggage and for people to be put off by the fact that this thing was thicker than war and peace. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about being accessible as well as engaging. And the, the other really nice thing in terms of how it's been received is I'm getting messages and emails from people who they're taking a moment in their day to not just say, thanks for the book, I enjoyed it, but... This is what I'm doing with it. And I had a woman two weeks ago, actually, she emailed me pretty much her life story and talked about a messy divorce and talked about uh, frustration and anger and fear. And the, the line in that really, she finished the email by saying, I'm now going to start looking at what's holding me back and I look forward to what God's got for me in the future. And you can look at Amazon rankings and sales rankings until you're blue in the face. But to me, that's a win because somebody's taken the the message behind the story and they're deciding what they're going to do with it. Our pastor down here in the church here in South Australia, he says to me that uh, this is my version of preaching. You know, I just don't get to, to stand up behind the pulpit deliver my three points and then hand off to the worship leader for a Chris Tomlin song. It's it's a way for me to engage with people about what I believe. And um, I'm getting messages through, and I really appreciate the fact that people take the time to say, thanks for putting the story on the page, and this is how it's impacting on my life. It's really great to hear.
0: There's something about the, the length and the approach to them that, like Jesus' parables, um... There's resolution to the story, but there's it, it, it feels like the beginning of an engagement around that topic. Uh, there's uh, having read the book, you feel like, OK, what do I as the reader do next with this um, versus sort of feeling like I've now read in a nonfiction book everything about this topic or here it all is broken down into the points. The parables really do feel like they sort of they pull you into the topic and force you to sort of decide what you're going to do with it, which I think is also true of Jesus's parables.
1: Uh, absolutely and and one of the things about well what i admire about Je- the way jesus spoke to people in in the New Testament is if anybody had all the answers it was him and if anybody had the ability to to slam people with scripture it was probably him but uh, you look at the interactions he had with people a lot of the time he started conversations or made people think and i really i really admire that approach and i also see that particularly you know in, in a the world that we live in at the moment where we are so polarised and people have strong opinions but sometimes don't know why, sometimes the best way to engage with people is just to get them to think. And, and so to me, I mean, that was the approach that I took into to writing The Baggage Handler was I wanted the reader to get to a point where they put the book down after they were finished and they would start thinking, not that they would put it down and go, well, that was great, I enjoyed that, and move on. But it would actually start a conversation, even within them. So, I mean, at the end of the book, The Baggage Handler's got a series of discussion questions, which I've got some book clubs who are reading the book together and then talking about it, which is terrific. Or it might be a Bible study group or your people that get together and have a coffee on a regular basis. So there's even... The end of the book carries some discussion questions, which basically say, what are you going to do with this now? And to me, that's, that's the power behind the story.
0: I've heard one of the questions that novelists do not prefer is where did the idea come from, right? Because where do any great ideas come from? But when you yeah. sit down to write a fiction book or a nonfiction book, which you have done, usually you've got a pretty good idea of the argument you want to make or the t- topic you want to cover and a pretty good outline developing in your head. Um, what did you find to be different in that process with tackling fiction? Was the idea formed at the beginning? Did you sort of write into it? What did that process look like of coming to the the message or the theme, that Sort of the, the big idea behind the baggage handler.
1: Well, the one thing about how the baggage handler sort of arrived as an idea is actually quite unusual. And the fact I've now finished the second book, the the camera story, and I'm writing the third one, it certainly hasn't happened with those two. But when the baggage handler arrived, it really did arrive. I was I was reading one night a series of, of books um, just to spark ideas, just to get a, a handle on how. How people were writing allegories. And I remember looking at the clock, it was nine o'clock. Uh, I put the book down and I, I really just felt I, I think I need to write something. So I grabbed the laptop, headed out to the living area. And honestly, the next time I looked at the clock, it was one in the morning and the baggage handle was on the screen. It really did download. So even from, from that point of view, the idea arrived. but in writing it, it wasn't a case of I just then painted in the numbers. It was more a case of exploring the idea. And I think to me, that's one of the major differences between nonfiction and fiction is when I've written nonfiction, I've got a very clear structure, I break down the topic, and then I paint the numbers in. I know with Swimming Upstream, when we were talking about infertility and and issues like that, you know, we, we identified that one of the major issues was a sense of injustice, so we went and researched and, and wrote injustice myself and the co-author. So, but with the baggage handler, one of the characters changed completely, and that that was uncovered during the writing process. So, to me, that's that's a major difference. Is fiction gives the gives you the ability, I guess, a little more to be able to just roll with it and flow with it, because at the end of the day, I mean, these characters aren't real; they are imagine, my imaginary friends, but. I can't shoehorn an exa- uh, you know, experience into them. I have to you know, follow how they will respond to things. So there's a lot more fluidity and a lot more freedom in that. And as it comes to many writers will say they're either a plotter or a pantser. I'm a, a pantser trapped in a plotter's body. So <laughs> with the story, I'll, I'll, I'll work out, you know, in, in a plot sense how I'm going to get from A to B, but. I'll often go through points C, D, E and F in order to get there. So to me, that illustrates the difference between fiction and nonfiction. And particularly, I mean, I like to read a story too, a fictional story where I didn't see it coming or there's a twist in there or um, something that, that really makes you sit back on your heels. And I don't think you can plan that sort of stuff. I think it's something that, um, that just, you know, is part of that
0: process. I think that's what makes the beginning steps of fiction so overwhelming as well is that, um, you know, if you're trying to build an argument through a nonfiction book, you can start at the beginning. And sure, you may have to write an introduction before that or that may become chapter two, but it, at least you sort of have the beginning of the thought. But with fiction, there's so much, so much available, so many options, so many ways it can go that I think getting started, those first few sort of ideas on paper is part of some, what's so overwhelming about fiction. Um, did you have that experience and how did you get yourself started getting into it actually the first few words down on the paper which i know for so many are the biggest challenge of all
1: yeah well for me well and this is partially how my my career has impacted on this is i've done that every day for clients i've done it when i was in um, in corporate communication it's the first words you write will never be the the right ones. So with the baggage handler, what you currently read at the moment as chapter one started in my first draft as chapter three. And the other part of being a fiction writer is, is understanding that the words you put on the page may not be the ones that stay there. In fact, I've changed my mindset to thinking that whatever I start with will not end up being in there. It will it will almost certainly be deleted or, or changed. So it actually doesn't matter for a first draft what you start off with because it will change. And I think that's that's just part of the exploratory process. I think you need to understand that you'll never write a final draft first, ever, of anything. And so you just need to get it down on page and, and be, give you something to work with. Um, if, if you've got the blank page is sitting in front of you and the, and the cursor is blinking at you and for some reason it seems to be blinking faster and faster and faster the more you stare at it, you've got to start somewhere. And so with fiction, you're right. With nonfiction, you establish your position or you establish your credibility and then you jump into the topic. But fiction so subjective. You could start a novel in one of a thousand different places and it can still work. So it's a case of putting something on, on the page so you've actually got some something to work with and, the, and then working with it.
0: Well, having spent so much time copywriting and working on nonfiction, were there surprises in the process for you as you were trying to sort of develop, develop, grow in your fiction writing, put the book together, things that maybe you thought, you thought was a skill you had acquired, but you were finding required something else now that it was in the context of fiction?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, the thing that surprised me most about writing fiction was actually how much it took out of me. And I've... I've seen and heard a number of amazing authors who who talk about how good writing has to come from deep within. Otherwise you're not completely in it. I went to a writing conference in Nashville in, in twenty sixteen and the keynote was Ted Decker. And which was amazing just to be able to sit there and, and the guy who's written a, you know the books on my bookshelf is is prowling the stage. But he talked about how good writing needs to come from deep within. And so I found that particularly after finishing The Baggage Handler, which is, you know, it's an emotional topic, I was exhausted (laughs) and I was actually really surprised by that because I I thought I had all the tools and so therefore this should be just another process and this is just another project. But sitting back and reflecting on, on that, I realized that if I'm writing a website about insurance or if I'm writing an ad campaign about banking, then... I'm actually not in it. You know, my head is, my hands are, but my heart isn't. And I found that when it came to writing fiction that because I was investing myself in the story, then it was taking a lot out of me. And the other thing too is that the other end of the the scale is when you have finished and when the book is out there for, you know, if you've got beta readers who are reading it and giving you input is it's you getting criticism because it's a subjective thing, but the criticism is a lot more cutting because it is part of you that's being put out there. So there is a risk in doing this because you, I mean, I've had people who've read the story and say so they really didn't connect with it. And that doesn't mean they're a bad reader or I'm a bad writer. It's just that's the nature of the business. So that's the other thing that surprised me is just the emotion, the emotion that's in it from the point of view of, of it being received as well.
0: Well, one of the reasons I've been so interested in having you on the podcast and being able to have this conversation about fiction and nonfiction is... um we, so often we think of them as just very, very different things. You know, you go to a writer's conference and there's a fiction track and a nonfiction track. And, you know, you pick up a book on writing and it's about writing fiction or it's about writing nonfiction. And most of my experience has been in nonfiction, a lot of the listeners as well. Um, but I love to read fiction. And what what I've discovered over the years is some of the things, some of the advice that has helped me best in my nonfiction have come from fiction craft books, books about story and plot structures and and holding on to a reader's interest. And, um, sometimes I think we, we divide those two worlds like they're so different that they, they sort of are entirely two different people, right? Like there, yeah. there's no mixing of the two. But my experience is there's so much about fiction that impacts nonfiction, so much about nonfiction that sort of flows into fiction. And so I'm really interested having, having you on who's done both. Um, How do you think your nonfiction impacts your fiction? And maybe more importantly, how do you think having spent the last few years working on your fiction, if you do come back around to nonfiction, what do you think the impact is? How are those things related?
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think sometimes there's a fence between between the two that shouldn't be there. I think that the major impact that the nonfiction has had on my fiction writing is nonfiction. It really teaches you to explore an issue. So, for example, if we were to just pick a topic off the top of the head and say, all right, I'm going to write about leadership in churches, I can't just talk about my opinion. I have to actually research it, I have to structure it, and I have to engage with people to give them something to take away. So, for me, I mean, when I wrote the book about infertility, I I couldn't come, come to that topic and say, you know what, this is what you need to do, people. I needed to actually get inside the topic. So I think that's been one of the, the big impacts for me is is just the fact that I don't think a good fiction story starts at word one and then finishes at word hundred thousand and you just go in a linear fashion. To me, it's very much about getting inside the topic. So that's one thing that I've taken from nonfiction to fiction is is this idea of of understanding a topic, understanding characters, understanding you know how the plot develops. It's it's about the mechanics of it as much as as much as the word count. So I think that's a massive impact um, that way. In terms of going back the other way, if I was to write nonfiction tomorrow, I think there'd probably be a lot more personality in it. And I think that's because once you throw yourself into story, you're being personal. You're, You're telling the story of, it might be an imaginary person, but they're a character who in the mind of the reader is real. So in terms of writing something next, there'd probably be a lot more story and a lot more personality in it. Not mine necessarily, but... But maybe just making the story an individual thing um, and then applying that into, say, you know, leadership or worship or uh, management or whatever else comes next. Uh, I think it would be very much driven by people more than process or, or even just, um, just the, the academic side of an argument.
0: One of the other big influences on the book is obviously your Christian faith. Although the book doesn't sort of open with an introductory paragraph that says, you know, this is a Christian story and this character relates to this Christian point, and this, you know, it's it's not that explicit. <laughs> yeah. So, how, as you're thinking about being a Christian novelist, if you would use that phrase, or a Christian writing novels, how does your faith inform the way that you're writing, inform the novel?
1: It's it's its foundation as well as its its source of, of life, really. Um, the, the, the cool thing that I really like about the baggage handler and the reaction I'm getting to it is I've had, on the same day I got two emails, the first email said, I can see that the baggage handler is a Jesus figure and I really appreciate the way that you told that story. And that was followed by a second email from a woman who said, uh, I'm not religious, I hate religion, I can't stand the church, but I do consider myself spiritual and thank you for writing a story about values. Where it's got nothing to do with Christianity. Now they read the same book, and the thing I found fascinating about that is my values are in there, my faith is in there. There is a, there is enough enough in there of me that people will have no doubt that. And, and the phrase I use, Chase, is, is rather than writing Christian fiction, I'm a Christian who writes fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to me, that's a, a significant difference. Um, and so, to me, that the faith is well, look, if I'm going deep within to write a story, then that's where you'll find faith and value. So they they have to be part of that as well. And I think the other thing too is that when you're trying to to write about truth that's couched in story, the, the truth's got to be based in something. And, you know, without going into a, a deep discussion about the morality of, of you know, the current, current society that we live in is if we live in a society that's post-truth, truth can be so – Wishy washy and so subjective. The, you know, the fact is, the truth that I'm basing my stories on comes from a source that I believe in and and believe isn't wishy washy. So, look, any any story that I'm writing, the next one is about honesty and truth. And again, if if you go through the New Testament, you'll find dozens of references to why truth is so important. So, I, I to me, that's that's where my faith intersects with the writing is that the stories are based or you know, couched in, in a truth that that I believe is real and, and the people should share in.
0: Yeah, I think it was Tolkien who talks about um, this idea, as you've sort of alluded to it too. Is it is it Christian fiction? Is it a Christian story? And and uh, I think his point is that if the 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 author writing it is writing from true deep com- Christian convictions, how can it not come through in the story? Rather explicitly, it links this character to Christ or that character to this biblical character. That the value system that that forms the story is itself Christian, and by it makes makes the work inherently Christian as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of the standard joke. If you read the Narnia stuff, is that people refer to Aslan as the Jesus Lion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And look, it's it that that type of work you can see the values in there. And, and I find that even today is is when I read a new author, is I can usually pick by about halfway through what their worldview is just by what they're what they're talking about. You know, there was a blockbuster novels out you know some years ago that were all about. Um, Freemasonry in the Catholic Church and you just read that and you go, okay, well I can see that the author is angry at the church in the following five ways. It's just you can't help if you're going deep within yourself to tell a story, you just can't help just putting your cards on the table and saying this is where I'm coming from. And and that's why I think it's important to be a Christian writing fiction. Because unfortunately, while I'm seeing this in Australia, and I'm you can tell you know, tell me how this is working in America, but people are really polarized about faith. And there are some people that I speak to on a regular basis who have closed the door on anything to do with faith. And sometimes it's their own experience. And when you hear their story, you sit back and you, and you think, you know what, that's almost fair enough based on how you've been treated. There are some people who take a political view to faith, and so they've closed the door on it. But the thing that, that is common to speaking to all those people is, is the fact that story is so powerful. And so I think that's why being a Christian who writes fiction is, you know, is important. It's, it's being able to portray the values that you believe that you believe are important and, and putting them across in a way that doesn't just shut the door. And I'm, I know when, when I talk to people about, you know, the deeper issues in life, which is something that I'm interested in talking to people about is, and again, it's drawing from the experience of Jesus telling parables. You know, Jesus could have said to his, his audience back, you know, 2,000 years ago, you guys don't understand salvation, and you need to, or you don't get redemption, or you don't get forgiveness. And the shutters might have gone up, but instead he talked about lost coins because they'd all lost one, and talked about lost sheep because they'd all lost one, and everybody had had friends who the the oldest son had taken off to another city to blow the inheritance. You know, it was that's the point of connection, and I think to me that's the important difference between Christian fiction, which is sometimes pigeonholed as fiction for Christians to read. And a Christian writing fiction carries with it a you know a strength and a, a a value system to it, which can often start conversations, which can turn people around completely.
0: I was uh, just coming back this week from uh, the Gospel Coalition conference, and I said in a session in which they were talking about how do we how do we how do we explain Christ in a secular age? And one of the speakers was referencing Alan Noble's book, uh, Disruptive Witness. And they were saying Mm -hmm. that in in a distracted age where people aren't paying attention, aren't interested, maybe a post-Christian age where we don't even have the sort of thing in us that's already sort of uh, maybe asleep to, but at least aware of Christian faith or value system, that the, the ways in which we're able to cut through the distraction and present Christ is the two things he says, story and the way that we handle suffering. And the story yeah. one really strikes me because uh, I heard Eugene Peterson say in an interview one time that we should we should ordain and license storytellers, <laughs> novelists in denominations because so much of the way that we get people, we awaken people, or get people to pay attention to even the claims of Christ are through the stories that are able to sort of cut through that distraction or, or gain that audience. And stories one of the the powerful ways that the church has done that. So uh, it's to your point, your pastor's comment as well too that a well written novel that comes from this Christian value system um, can be a means of preaching, a sort of sacred work.
1: Oh, exactly. Look, story in in our country, I mean, in Australia, our indigenous culture, our first Australians have been telling stories forever as a way of not just teaching about values, but carrying forward culture and tradition. Um, Jesus most powerful connections with people in the New Testament uh, are when he explained eternal truth through a concept of a simple story it's story is so powerful and one thing I found even as you know working in advertising is you can talk about the facts of a product from here until Christmas but people will only engage with it if they can they can connect with a story around that product and so story is something that we we lean into as people you know we, we lean away in a world of of marketing messages we lean away from being sold to, but we'll lean into hearing a story about someone. So, look, I, I think ordaining storytellers is a great idea. And it's, it's yeah, you know, I think it's something that probably, you know, would be absolutely worth, worth the value of, of, of investigating it.
0: Yeah, this does seem to be an area where the church is, um, is behind. Like, I just, we, you go into a Christian publishing store and there's so many incredible nonfiction books. I mean, hey, I'm trying to contribute to the, to the pile as well. So I'm in the camp, right? Um, but when it comes to as Christians, I I have this conversation with pastors so often. What fiction are you reading? What stories are you reading? Are you aware of the stories that are being put out around you? The culture's telling and what kind of stories are we telling back? It's so not even within our thinking. For so many of us as pastors and so many of us as Christians, the seriousness of those stories we're telling.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, it's it's a way of one thing people are looking for in our modern world is evidence that stuff works. And, you know, we, we live in a, a scientific era where we want to test the hypothesis of everything. And I've personally spoken to people who say, well, yeah, that's great, but the Bible was written 2000 years ago. And, OK, that's an argument. But if... If you then talk about the person you know who actually embraced faith and it turned their life around in 2018, 2019, it totally removes that argument. And there's power in that story. And I'm totally with you on the Christian bookstore idea. I mean, I know how Christian bookstores are laid out regardless of where you're listening to this podcast, but I bet you it's about a third devotionals, a third Bibles, and about a quarter worship CDs. And then there's a a little bookshelf in the back where the fiction lives. It's... I think fiction should be front and center because it, it's what it's what reaches people. It's it's a way of engaging engaging them in in truth and values in a way that makes it real to them. And look, honestly, I, I keep saying this, but Jesus knew it worked, that's why he did it. <laughs> so he his his range of parables, he talked about you know the. The, the virgins who trimmed their lamps outside of inside of a party, or he talked about coins. He talked about things that people related to in the day, and, and that's what I'm trying to do with this. Is the the modern day parable about emotional baggage, you know, isn't about a time from long ago. It's it's about people who are flying somewhere and they've they've mixed up their baggage at an airport, which I bet every reader has either done or knows someone who's done. It's it's a common experience. And the second book, Cameron Never Lies, is about photography because you know we, we all take photos and we all engage with that. So, look, I think the power of story is is really undervalued. It's it's something that, in a way, proves a point or proves something works, and it's a way to get people beyond an academic analysis of something into actually buying into it and actually testing it to see if it's real.
0: Well, if we have this work ahead of us as a church to sort of awaken more storytelling, and and I know because I talk to enough nonfiction writers that so many of them have these sort of seeds of a story sort of hidden away in some file on their computer or something they're turning over in their mind, um, what advice would you give to those individuals? Uh, to get started, to take the fiction writing more seriously, to invest time in a story that other people may not recognize as being as inherently valuable as an argument or a nonfiction book. What advice would you have for those sort of struggling fiction writers out there?
1: To Without being trite about it, I think you need to write. And I I did this, and I speak to people today who do this, and that is you think you can organize and edit a novel in your head, and you'll only write it when all the ducks line up in your imagination. And the fact is that will never happen. What, if, you, if you're if you sitting there and you've thought, you know what, I've, I've thought about writing this novel or I've wrote, thought about exploring this story idea, what you probably need to do is put your fingers on the keys and write it. And it will possibly be one of the worst drafts ever written, but now it lives, now it's on paper and it's out of your head and you can do something with it. And that story continues to exist, even if it's not published. My my writing journey didn't start with the baggage handler. The first novel I ever wrote was a book about a reality TV guru who ran out of ideas, and so he pitched an idea to the network of making a re- reality TV show about churches, and the story is called Pastor Swap. It takes a pastor from a mega church and swaps them with a poor suburban pastor whose church is about to close. Now, that was the first novel I ever wrote. I I submitted it to a number of writing competitions in the US. It finaled in those, and it didn't win. And when I pitched it to industry, they went, great idea, great writing, but we're not going to take it up. So that story still lives in my laptop, and it doesn't cease to exist because nobody wanted to publish it at the time. So that's what I'd encourage any any potential or prospective writers to do is just get it on paper, get it on the screen, and then you've got something you can work with. And the fact is, I mean, in, in 2019, publishing is so different to what it was 20 years ago. You've got so many options to publish it yourself. You can print it yourself. You can serialize it. You can blog about it. You can you can do all sorts of things with it, but it has to exist. I mean, the story that's in your head can't be distributed, and so you need to actually breathe it into life. And the other thing, too, is somebody asked me this the other day, is, is how do I get started? If, if fiction writing is daunting and 100,000 words is daunting, um, my university students that I have in my class freak out if I set them an assignment that runs for 700 words, let alone 100,000. Write a short story. Just write something that might run for five pages, 10 pages. It might go for 2,000 words. But at least write. This is Writing is a craft. As much as we like to think of it as a vocation, it pays more like a craft than a than a job. So the only way to learn a craft is to get your hands dirty and to make mistakes. So, yeah, get your fingers on the keys, breathe it into life. If it's a short story, make it into a poem if that's what works best for you. But But just create. You'll learn so much about what you're writing by writing it. And so that would be my advice for anybody is if you're sitting there harbouring an idea, don't keep it away. I mean, I'm not going to go there and, and talk about lights and bushels, but that absolutely applies. Put it out there, um, at the very least. Put it into breathe it into life, so that you've got something to work with and share with others.
0: Yeah, I think it's good advice, and hopefully, the conversation and again, the writing you've done is just an encouragement to others that uh, it's possible and that uh, that this is something, as you said at the very beginning. I think God calls people to this work of telling stories, as I know He did you, um, David. Yeah thanks. It's an honor to be able to talk to you. What are what are ways people can, well, number one, pick up the book, which I would encourage people to do, but also be able to follow you and, and maybe be able to pick up copies when they come out later this uh, this fall and then in 2020?
1: No problem. Yeah. Well, you can get it on, on the all-pervading Amazon. So if you look for the baggage handler, if you want to get it online, uh, if you're looking for it in the real world, Uh, If you're in the States, Barnes & Noble are carrying it among a range of of other Christian bookstores, and I know it's available in Canada, and it's also available in Australia as well at the moment. And the cool thing is, actually, um, later this year it's coming out as a German translation, and it's also coming out in Dutch which means if you're in Europe, you'll be able to, to access it in those two languages as well. But look, if, if you just want to, to connect, head to Facebook. You'll find me there, David Rawlings, author, or visit the website, which is www.davidrawlings.com.au. Now, you need the .au bit. That's the Australia bit of the whole thing. Um, if you head there, you'll, you'll find more information about why I wrote The Baggage Handler. If you belong to a book club, I've got some material there to to help your book uh, club discuss the book and the concept of emotional baggage, some starter questions, and I've even thrown in some Australian recipes if you want to make some Aussie food to eat while you're reading. And you can also subscribe to the newsletter. And think at the moment, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you get a couple of short stories for free as well. So head to my website, www.DavidRawlings.com.au, and uh, by all means, get in touch. I'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, well, thanks again, David, and congratulations on the book. Uh, best of luck, as I know it continues to sell, and for the future books as well.
1: Nah, thanks, Joe. Thanks so much for having me as well.
0: As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com 58. Also, if you've been enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would consider sharing it with a friend. You can do that through Twitter or Facebook or maybe just telling a friend about it. But your endorsement really is one of the best ways to help the podcast grow. And while you're at it, feel free to drop me some feedback on Twitter or Facebook. I love being able to hear from audience members and love to hear what you think about the podcast. As always, until next time, thanks for listening.